You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Susan Fleming, welcome to Real Faith Stories. So good to have you on the program today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am really honored to be able to speak about your personal story as well as I'm sure we'll touch on some of your business story. What I'm going to do is ask you to share a little bit about yourself, your upbringing, how you came to faith. Then we're going to dig into your experiences as a therapist and how that led to burnout. And then through your crying out to the Lord in the midst of that, how he shifted some things pretty dramatically and drew you very close to him. It's really interesting how when I when I typically share my story with people, I kind of keep it at a distance and don't get too vulnerable and you know keep it usually related to business and what I'm doing now and that sort of thing and just in in praying about this conversation, the Lord laid some things on my heart to share that I've never spoken about publicly and I believe that there is someone or maybe multiple someones, but at least the one, right? Because he all, he goes after the one. Mm. There's someone listening who needs to hear more depth. Because I think so often we can hear someone's story and say, oh, good for them. Or, you know, God did it for them. And maybe they don't say the rest of that sentence, but the rest of it is, but he won't do it for me. Or they think I'm too far gone. And I know the the listeners can't see me, but I'm blonde haired and blue eyed, and that in itself comes with a lot of um, hmm, expectation. I think of maybe what my experiences have been, and I just really felt the Lord telling me that I needed to share some deeper things. So here we go. <laughs> like you said, I I am a therapist, and. Again, just the the way that I look, when I first started in therapy, I was working for an agency that did counseling for foster children and trying to reconcile the children with their parents. And I would quite often get the response because given the area I was working in, I didn't look anything like the people I was working with. I would often get the response of, what do you know about hard things? And, you know, there would be times where I would just let that go and move on. And then there were other times where the Lord said, tell them. <laughs> and again, I just I just feel like there's somebody listening who's going to say, what do you know about it? You know, if I just stick to talking about business. But mm-hmm. the only memory I have of my parents together is when I was six years old and they were fighting they were yelling and there were loud noises at the time. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew something was happening. And I remember running downstairs and watching my dad leave out the driveway. So my parents were splitting up. And, you know, I know that's not an uncommon thing for people these days, but it's still hard. And I just want to acknowledge that for somebody. If your parents are divorced, regardless of your age, it's hard. But during the next couple of years, as my parents were going through this, my mom, now a single mom with two little kids, you know, there was struggle. 
And of course, she was working multiple jobs, trying to pay the bills. And my sister and I would often stay with different relatives. And in that two-year period, before she got remarried, I was sexually molested by multiple family members that we were staying with. Mm. And my parents didn't find this out until I was 16. So about a 10-year period there where I didn't tell anybody. And they found out at 16 only because I had to tell the psychologist that was giving me an evaluation because I was sitting in a jail cell. So I get hard. I get life being difficult. I understand that things happen that are out of your control. But I'm here to tell you today that there is hope that you do not have to be a victim to your circumstance. The journey isn't easy. We're not promised easy. But what we are promised is that he never leaves us. He is in it with us. And I didn't know that for a very long time. I prayed that sinner's prayer at a very young age and thought life will be good now. I think a lot of people do that. We think that, you know, when we get saved and there's no more hard stuff. Yeah. And I didn't really have anybody in my life to disciple me or mentor me or or walk me through, okay, now this is what it looks like to really be reliant on God and have a relationship with Him and do life in partnership with Him. I didn't have that. And so in my mid-30s, after a lot more hard things, by that point, I had been married and divorced. I had a small child of my own. I had attempted suicide a couple of times, and I was finally in a place to surrender. And again, I just, I didn't, I didn't have a grid for what that really meant, but I knew I couldn't keep going like I was going. The way I was doing things wasn't working, and and the Lord wanted to show me a better way. So I say I got saved early, but I really, really didn't come into relationship with Him until about eight years ago. How'd that happen? I was already a therapist at that point. You would think I would have some answers. You know, I think we're we're expected to know all the things, and I did know all the things, but that didn't necessarily mean that I knew how to apply them to my own life. So I was just kind of duct taping things together, you know, here and there. It's like, oh, let me try this technique, or, you know, we teach in therapy. You get a lot of coping skills, right? And so you're basically teaching people just how to deal with things, how to deal with life, how to cope with life, not actually make it better, not really getting to the root of what is the problem and how do we fix it. And I felt like I was just giving out a lot of band-aids and not really helping people. And the Lord directed me into online coaching And that felt so freeing. That was just a whole new world of suddenly I can talk about what I want to talk about and I can give real solutions, not just band-aids. And, you know, because within therapy, when you're licensed, it's really restrictive and you can't talk about, or at least within the state of Georgia, we can't talk about God or anything like that unless the client brings it up first or if they ask for it. But I was just sitting there 
day after day, hour after hour, each person that came in and I'm like, I just want to tell them about Jesus. Like he can heal all these things, (laughs) you know, and I couldn't say anything. And so moving into online coaching, it was, it was much more exciting, much more free. And I thought, okay, this is the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. And man, after just a few months, I hit a wall because I was doing all these things in striving, in performance, you know, doing these things out of the the mindset of I'm doing this for God instead of with God. And I didn't know the difference. It's a huge distinction. It's entirely different. And so in that process of burning out and hitting this wall and coming to the end of me, because I was just doing something for God, what he started showing me is my whole life had been for other people. It had been about meeting their expectations. And I learned from the trauma that I had endured in my childhood I was believing I'm not enough. So let me figure out with each person that's in front of me, let me figure out what it is they want and give them that. Mm. And I was so good at adapting and becoming what you wanted me to be that I didn't know who I was. So when you transition into an entrepreneurial space where suddenly you're it, Like you're the only person in your business. There's nobody sitting in front of you telling you what to do. It was suddenly like, I don't know how to figure this out. I don't know who I am. And not knowing my own identity, I don't know my value. I don't know my worth. I don't know what I bring to anybody. I don't know why anybody would want to work with me. Even though I had, like logically, I can think through that and go, okay, I've got all these skills. I have a master's degree. I've been doing therapy for years. Like, obviously, I know how to do things. Yeah. When I moved into this this different world of coaching, it was suddenly like as if I had amnesia and didn't know how to do therapy anymore. Like it. (laughs) I can relate to that totally. Yeah. I had an experience, Susan where I was asked by a friend of mine who's a world-renowned marketer to present the tenets of my book, the selling formula, to the people that were following him. It was a webinar. Mm -hmm. And I wrote the book. I should know my stuff. Right. When I got on the webinar, it's like I went brain dead. Yeah. And this voice in my head, and I've shared this on a podcast over a year ago, but the voice in my head was saying, you are really effing up. Mm -hmm. I'm like, "What? what? What is going on here? And thankfully, he engaged me in some questions, which knocked me off high center and allowed me to get refocused. But I know that feeling, having performed for years and then getting in front of somebody where you just want to share your truth and you don't know what to do. Is that what you're saying? That was exactly it. I didn't really know that I didn't know who I was. And so in that moment of what do I really have to share with people? What do I really have to give? If I have to talk about me and not what I do, I I saw those as the same thing. Like if anybody ever asked me, you know, tell me about who you are, I automatically went into, well, this is what I do. There wasn't that distinction of 
my identity being separate from a therapist mm. or a mom yeah. or, you know, whatever the role is that I'm in, in that particular situation. But in that moment, what I started to see was I didn't believe I was enough just by being Susan. I know that's what a lot of people are dealing with right now. And that's why, you know, we have kids who get done with school and go, okay, now I need to take time off and go figure out who I am. True. We're all searching for that who am I piece. And for a lot of people, they find their identity in what it is that they do. And they go after a particular profession because of how it looks or because of how much money they can make. And Again, getting into coaching, and now it's my business. I'm not working for anybody. I even twisted that into, okay, well, now I'm working for God, right? Like, that mm -hmm. sounds really good. <laughs> it sounds good. But after a few months of that, like I said, I just, I hit that wall of, I'm done. Like, this isn't working. I don't know what I actually have to give. Does that make sense? Totally. Obviously, that begs the question, what did you go through? What did you have to experience to finally get a sense that it's not about your performance and about what you know and what you do, but who you really are and who God made you to be at your core? Yeah. How did you make that transition? I think the easiest way to say it would be that Jesus wooed my heart. And I think maybe some guys will probably hear that and go, okay, that's not for me. But we are the bride, right? Regardless of gender, we are the bride and our bridegroom is wooing us. He just wants to love us. And because of the things that I had dealt with, with the sexual abuse and other trauma along the way, I didn't know how to receive love. And that's where he started with me of just let me love you. Like, we'll get to the other stuff. You know, it's not going anywhere. We'll get there. But can we just start with, I I want to love you. I want relationship with you. And that was super scary. That was so scary at the thought of being that vulnerable with anybody, much less to talk about Jesus. You know, to, to think of just sitting face to face with him and looking him in the eye and just being me and somehow believing that that's all he wanted. What was that like? What were the first experiences of pressing into that? It was super intense. What act did you take? So I had a, a friend at the time. She had a relationship with Jesus. Like I just, I had no grid. I did not understand it at all. And I knew just by watching her, listening to her, hearing her talk about God as if like he's just like she would talk to me, right? Like he's just sitting there with her and they're having conversation. And I'm like, that is the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it was so foreign to me, but I knew that's what I needed. I knew there's something so different about her. I don't know what it is, but I know that's what I need. And so I went to her and I said, can you just I, I don't know. Is there something you can tell me or teach me? Like, how do I do that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and just very simply, what she told me, she said, how I started this process is I just went and sat on my bed and I closed my eyes and I imagined that Jesus was sitting there with me. And we just sat there. And I'm like, 
okay, I can, I, maybe I can do that. <laughs> I don't know. We'll try it out. <laughs> so that's literally what I did. I avoided it for a few days, maybe a week. And then finally, I just, I woke up one morning and just slid off the side of my bed and just sat there in the floor. And I closed my eyes and I said, Jesus, if you want to love me, here I am. I mean, I still just, I mean, I'm sure you can hear my voice just get so emotional about that, that first real encounter with him. What'd you experience? Just sitting there with my eyes closed. I did, like she said, I just imagined that he was sitting there with me and he took my hand and immediately I was back at, sorry. It's okay. I was back at my wedding day. But instead of my my earthly husband being there, I saw Jesus. Wow. And it, it just instantly in that moment, I knew that's all I need. Mm. It felt like an eternity, but realistically, it was like maybe 10 seconds. That's amazing. But it was just so intense. His love is just, it's so overwhelming in the best way possible. And that's the scary part for people is that it is intense, but it's so healing and so freeing. And so we started, just started this journey together where every morning I would get up and I would just invite him to love me. And every day he would show me something different, still does. And there were so many, initially, like in in the, the beginning, you know, there were so many healing moments to where he would take me back into those difficult memories and just show me where he was in those moments. It healed me in ways I didn't, I don't even know how to explain. I didn't even know what's possible to go back into those difficult things. Because what we don't realize, I learned this along the way, is I was accusing him of not being with me. I didn't know that's that's what I was doing, but that was my anger towards him. My heart's cry was, you left me. You said you would never leave me and you left me. And him taking me back through those memories and showing me I was right there with you was just, it's so incredibly powerful because like I said earlier, I, I think that people think or they have the expectation of I'm going to pray this prayer and I'm going to have Jesus and then everything's going to be great. But his promise is that I never leave you. So him showing me that he he never left me. I mean, that just rocked my world. <laughs> it's overwhelming. It is. It's so overwhelming. And so I do that. I take my clients through those kind of encounters now. And it's just so beautiful that he shows up for each person in the exact way that they need to see him. Like no two people that I know have ever had the same experience. And it's just so amazing. And I think that's part of the reason I, I don't normally share my experience a lot because I don't want people to go into it with the, okay, well, he's going to show up like this. And then if he doesn't, they're disappointed or they think they've done something wrong, but he just, he shows up for you in the way that you need it, you know? And a lot of times too, I think we get hung up on, I didn't see anything or it's hard for me to imagine that he's there. 
well, that's fine. Maybe he wants to speak to you in a different way. You know, it's not always that we see something. Even for me, I don't see him every time I do this. Sometimes I hear hear him. Sometimes I just have a knowing of what he's telling me. There have been other times where I've I've tasted something. That's that's an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, it is. When you you get a smell or a taste and you're like, I know that's not in the room or I know I wasn't just eating that. Like, why am <laughs> I, you know, why do I have that? So just in those moments, you know, it's like, okay, Holy Spirit, what's, what is that about? Why am I tasting apples right now? And, and maybe he takes me to a memory or maybe it reminds me of somebody that I know or, you know, it could be a lot of different things, but I just love how he shows up for each one of us in the way that we need it. And I I really feel like there's someone hearing this and they're starting to connect some dots. And there are some things that they've been dismissing, telling themselves, oh, I didn't really see that. I didn't really hear that. Or just kind of brushing it off. And you need to know that that's God talking to you. He wants your attention. Mm. He has love for you that you can't imagine. And somebody needs to hear that. Don't keep dismissing those those things that seem like coincidence or just your imagination. It's real and it's Him. So powerful. There's one aspect of your story I'd like to circle back on for a bit, and that is the transition from performance to partnership with the Lord. Mm -hmm. As you started this process of healing and sitting before the Lord, what was occurring on the outside with regards to your coaching and previously feeling like you didn't have an identity that you could pull from? How did that shift? It's interesting because from the outside, I think people would have would have seen what was going on in my business and been like, yeah, she messed up because everything is falling apart. <laughs> mm. It was a mess. It was a mess. But I cannot tell you the joy that I had in that mess and just the perspective shift that I got in him showing me, I think of Peter getting out of the boat, right? And mm-hmm. how when you look at the circumstances, it looks like a mess. It looks like you're sinking. It, it makes no sense to the outside world. But when you keep your eyes focused on him, that's when you walk on water. That's the transformation. That's the intangible, tangible thing that you're like, I don't know what this is, but I know it's exactly what I needed. It's heaven on earth. It is. That's what I I really learned in that season is to keep my eyes on him, regardless of what's going on around me. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's simple. And it takes, I think, just continually bringing your awareness back to him and knowing he's not going anywhere. And if things look like a mess are going on around you, there's purpose in it. What you're touching on here is just consciously being aware. Mm -hmm. And we are so autopilot oriented, aren't we? Yes. That it takes effort to be consciously aware. And basically, it's kind of like someone gently grabbing your chin and continually turning it Mm -hmm. in the right direction. You know, it's like, no, 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 
Yep. No, no, no. Come over here. Look over here again. Mm, That's such a beautiful picture because he is our good father. And we are the child, right? We're the children of God, not the adults of God. (laughs) Right. Oh, that's good. That's really good. (laughs) We've got to get back to that childlike state. And it doesn't mean immaturity. I would argue it takes much more maturity to intentionally choose to be childlike. But it's that, that beautiful picture of he's just gently turning your head back to him. That's the thing is I think we're so used to things being forceful, right? Everybody mm-hmm. wants your attention. And God's like, I'm, I'm not competing with that. You know, he's not forceful at all. You have to be so intentional to create this space, right? To mm-hmm. make room for him, to just sit with him. I'll tell you, when I first started doing that, those first six months, out of everything I've already told you I've been through in my life, those six months were probably the hardest six months of my life, and yet the most joyful at the same time. To be sitting still. Mm-hmm. I hear that over and over. I've experienced it myself. Tell me if this doesn't resonate with you, Susan, with regards to just being still. We have eight children, and I remember having to spend my time seeking the Lord in the back bathroom of our house early in the morning so nobody would bug me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I remember when the Lord invited me into spending 30 minutes in absolute silence before him. So I've got the toilet seat closed. I'm sitting in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) and trying to get some quiet time, right? And I remember my mind just bugging me so badly, say something, pray something, read something, and no. Mm -hmm. And finally, my mind would give up trying to ping me to do something. But then what would happen, and it might be like the last couple minutes, or it could be more than that, I would start feeling this incredible courage rise up. And I can do all things through Christ sense. And it wasn't anything from this world. Mm-hmm. I had nothing in me that could have mustered that up. Does that resonate? Absolutely. It's the surrender is part of it, I think. But there's also an element there of dominion. The first place we have dominion of is ourself. That's so good. So it is that taking the thoughts captive, having dominion over your emotions, your thoughts, you know, whatever distractions there may be, because a lot of time it is you yourself being the distraction. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) Right? Like you said, your mind just wouldn't stop. And that was totally me. You know, that's how I, I made it about 10 seconds in that first encounter, because my mind wouldn't ever stop. There was so much distraction just from within myself because I didn't know how to just be still and quiet with myself, Mm -hmm. much less anybody else. So you do have to get to that point of surrendering your will. And to do that, you have to take dominion of you. You have to have dominion of your will to surrender it. I think so many people don't recognize that their will They've given their agreement to the enemy or to someone else. I know for sure that was me. Like I I felt totally victim to my emotions 
in my thoughts. You know, I thought all that all of that was out of my control. That's just how I was. I can't do anything about it. You know, we all have these stories of, well, this is just who I've always been. Yeah. Or this is how my family is. Right. I accepted those things and I had taken that on and it's like, well, my grandmother dealt with anxiety. My mom dealt with anxiety. Of course, I'm going to have anxiety. Like, why wouldn't I? And I just accepted it. What a great lie. It's the great lie of our enemy, of our soul, right? Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't want us to surrender to anybody but him. So when we make that intentional choice to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. There's nothing Satan can do about it. He's done. That's it. Yeah, if he can get you to go down the same well-worn path as everybody else in the family and generations and to say the same things everyone else has said to believe that that is your lot in life he's got you mm, yeah but there's a better way a more excellent way as jesus said how can people find out more about you susan i am on facebook or you can go to my website is heaven to earth llc.com there's all kinds of stuff there about me what i do who I am, any way that you want to connect with me, that's probably the best way to do it. And I just, I really just pray that in sharing this, that people hear the hope in it, that the the hope would be bigger than the hard, because it, it's hard. I know that it's hard to make that initial decision to say, I want to do something different, and then to actually put something into action. It can be really, really difficult. That is my prayer today for anybody that hears this, that they would, yes, hear the heart in my story, but let the hope be bigger. You know, I think a lot of times we identify with people's difficulties and then we let it stop there and say, yeah, the world's just hard. And I really just want people to hear hope in this story that if if I can start at 10 seconds, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no... No start that is too small. Yeah, exactly. God just wants your yes. If if that's the strength that you have today to say one word, just say yes. And he can work with that. He can work with anything. Yeah. Just give him something. As we finish, I would love to have you pray for our listeners. Lord, you are so good. I just thank you. Thank you for this time that we've had to be together to talk about you to bring glory to you. I pray that each person listening would hear you. Whatever the words are that they need to hear, that they would hear you drawing them in, that they would feel you wooing their heart, and that they would just say yes, that they there would be enough faith and trust there, right? If we have a mustard seed, to just say yes, that you take care of the rest of it. You show up in the way that we need you to. And I thank you. You are so good and you never stop. That no one is too far gone. There is always hope because you are always in it with us. Thank you for Brian and his willingness to put these stories out. I thank you for his yes. Just pray that you bless everyone listening. That they would encounter you in a more real way today than they ever have before. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Susan, for sharing so deeply. Really appreciate it. 
You're welcome. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.